Hey there, DC Comics News fans. Fans of DC Comics. Fans of comics. Or fans of my voice? Question mark, question mark. I'm only responding to DC Comics News reviewer Tony Farina, who made a point recently in a post that he believes I have a smooth voice. How smooth is completely up to you. I personally hope that you're not tuning in just for that reason. In fact, I'd prefer it if you're tuning in today so you can hear me state, argue, or just share what I believe are the top five books from DC Comics this week just like every week. Because you've arrived at the DC Comics News, Spinner Rack, where I am your host. This is episode number 64, and each and every week I share with you my take on what I believe are the top five books from DC Comics. Without any further ado, hesitation, or stalling. Let's go ahead and get to my first choice. For that one, I had to go with Justice League number 49. Warning, I'm in the squeaky chair. So if you hear any squeaking, that's me and you're welcome. But back to Justice League number 49. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about a story called The Rule. Part two, actually. Uh, A story by writer Cy Spurrier uh, Aaron Lopresti with the pencils, Matt Ryan with inks, David Barron with colors, Tom Napolitano with the letters. Now, do you ever do something you thought was the right thing in the hope that it would, you know, work out, even though someone with a bit more wisdom or experience is trying to explain to you why it is that you're actually um, a bit wrong? In this story, which has a gorgeous cover and a phenomenal variant cover, it would be wrong of me not to share with you that it was Eddie Barrows, Eber Ferreira, and David Barron on the original cover with a very cool sort of postery uh, Alex Garner variant cover, one that just (laughs) brings to light all of those great things that you always look for in great comics. Now, don't let the horns outside distract you. Don't let anything else deter you from the fact that in this story, we open with the conclusion of last issue 48, when sadly, the Justice League was doing its best to help a society that had been under tyrannical rule. However, helping is easy to say and harder to do. And the biggest challenge for the Justice League is that they don't really know how to handle the situation they're in. They think they do, and they try to do so confidently. But they're quickly assured, if not cautioned, that they're doing it the wrong way by Wonder Woman, who's warned them since their arrival that their attempt to, in any way, influence this society is the wrong tactic. Now... What I love about this is that Wonder Woman decides that she's going to tell a story, one that's based on Greek mythology, the story of Queen Iskiria. And it's a heart-wrenching story of what it's like when someone tries to do the right thing, but they don't know how. However, I do think there's an important message that's revealed by Wonder Woman when she explains that The biggest problem for this queen in this story was that she didn't know how to reach out and depend on others and try to do everything herself. 
Where that leads us to in this issue, well, I'm going to encourage you to check it out for yourself. The ending might surprise you. I know it was a nice little curve for me. Not quite a twist, but certainly a shift that I really enjoyed. This was my first choice, a great 5 out of 5 book, one that I'm happy to share with you and encourage you to give me your feedback on when you get a chance to check out Justice League number 49. A great 5 out of 5. And with that, let's go ahead and move on to my second choice. And for that second choice, I chose to go with Death Metal number 2. I've actually really been intrigued uh, by how this series is approaching its concept and how it's going to continue delivering it. And this one for me was just kind of a fun ride. I wasn't taking it too seriously. I know it's supposed to be involved in fixing DC's continuity, but until I real, really feel the pressure of that, what I'm enjoying are the little things like a world map that looks like the bat symbol, a great story by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, um, the nicknames they give each other, whether it's uh, Jonathan Godkiller, Glapton on Inks, or Colors by FCO Fearmonger Flacencia. Letters are by Tom Napolitano. I'm dropping the nicknames now. You're going to have to read the rest for yourself. Cover by Greg Capullo, Jonathan Clapton, and FCO Flacencia. Aquaman variant. Oh boy, there's a lot of variants for this one. I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to tell you you know what they are. You're going to collect them if you want them. But I'm going to get into the story. An interesting one that starts with just a nice touch of humor. Um, especially with uh, a character known as the Batam. Um, it's a Batman-themed Adam who takes off the skin of a lizard and then proceeds to get run over by, well, a pretty awesome off-road vehicle. What does this story have? Not only Wally West, but the appearance of the JSA, a possibility into the explanation of what things have happened, a lovely Really just sweet and tender reunification between Barry and Wally and a terrifying concept about the idea of whether or not the Batman who laughs really died in the last issue. And more importantly, who has access and control of Dr. Manhattan? Now, there's still a lot going on because we've got so much here from... Uh, well, <laughs> a lot of our great characters keep in mind that there is still a great fight ahead of them. And there is also a big challenge because there's a appearance at the end that makes me think that there's an enemy that the heroes who stay behind are simply not prepared for. Dark Knight's Death Metal, number two. A great five out of five, a really fun story, and one I'm happy to share with you and really curious to hear your feedback on. And with my second book out of the way, we're going to take a quick break here. Go ahead and slide into that ad break. Come right back to you with my third, fourth, and fifth choices. Thanks for sticking with. Be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News Podcast. Here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. 
Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Ogre. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not in need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f- with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love. The Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. F***ers. Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the Knight. And just like that, we're back. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for taking that ad break. Learning about all the things we love sharing with you. And then coming right back for issues 3, 4, and 5. Or my 3rd, 4th, and 5th picks for this week's episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. It's actually episode number 64. I am actually your host, Seth Singleton. Let's get right to my next choice with Catwoman, number 23. A great little story called We've Got Fun and Games. There goes my squeaky chair again. This is a really fun one. Not just because the title implies it or suggests or encourages it, but a great story from Blake Northcott and Sean Murphy with a script by Blake Northcott, uh, C. and Tormey providing the art. FCO Placencia with the colors, Tom Napolitano with the letters, Sean Murphy, and Matt Hollingsworth with the cover, and 
Wu Chu Li with the variant cover. Now, for those who are a fan of, well, 1988, there's a great appearance by a character you might remember, otherwise known as Snowflake, the uh, only cocaine-powered hero or figure, less hero, that I'm aware of. This issue also features the first appearance of a new character, one who sources are referring to as Catgirl. How does Catgirl and Catwoman come to cross paths? Well, first, you have to take a little bit of a trip. You got to be willing to step outside of your comfort zone into a place called Isla Nevada where there's a protector of the jungles and a people who are not being treated very well. Now, Snowflame is a super-powered figure. I might have slipped into saying he was a hero. He's really not. He's even not a good guy. He's not even an anti-hero. He's generally a bad guy who hosts a lot of bad guys and likes to pretend that he's got it made because he's got cars and money. And yet, Catwoman makes her appearance as someone who's well aware of the fact that there's more going on and that she's got quite a bit of competition at a gala ball the night before. A very big auction. What's the prize? Well, there's a talisman and there's a bit of a legend. What does that have to do with a very exciting ending to this issue? You're going to have to read to find out more about that. I'm going to tell you, you're going to love the story. You're going to love the art. You're going to love Catwoman, number 23. And with that, we're going to go ahead and move into my fourth choice. And for my fourth choice, I decided to go with Daphne Byrne, issue number six. This has been one of those delightful stories that really has made me reconsider a lot of what I love about superhero comics and what I'm becoming more in love with when it comes to horror, supernatural, and period-based comics. Now, with Daphne Byrne, we've got a really great story from Laura Marks with art by Kelly Jones, colors by Michelle Madsen, Letters by Rob Lay, an original cover by Sam Wolf Connolly, and a variant cover by Kelly Jones and Dave Stewart. I will agree that you're really hard-pressed to pick between cover one and the variant cover. It's not easy. Um, these Joe Hill House comics have really done a masterful job of offering up some absolutely gorgeous work on their covers. The first one has a, a feeling of the divine saint-like and with the whited out eyes of Daphne and the cord around her wrists, it's, it's pretty powerful. But then the variant cover, there, there are some horrifying images on that thing. And there's something impressive about the way there's this fantastical blue bubble of skeletons shooting around the gray, almost steepled 
or lightly sketched black and white kind of grainy Daphne bird. And then a monstrous background of red skullish like moths behind her. Daphne is tied up. Her mother and she have been taken prisoner. Her mother and her family have all been part of a very dangerous and quite wicked plot involving Miss Swarthmore, the woman who has been involved in leading the seances and in encouraging Daphne's mother to seek them out. But there's also, of course, the challenge with the fact that it was actually Swarthmore and her group who chose to bring about the death of Daphne's father and do so using a very unlikable means in the use of opium, which then created a social stigma around the family. Now, this is the perfect ruse if your desire is to isolate the family and the mother because she's actually been chosen to be the mother of a supernatural being. And in order for this to occur, there must be a very creepy Trigon-esque like seance and a mating ritual followed by the clarification that this is how the creature they worship, the god they worship, will be sired and brought to existence here on Earth. It's an interesting take on a classic idea, and it's really fun to see how Daphne is well aware of the fact that these are people who are moved by superstition and have actually used superstition to uh, pull a big one on her and her family. And she has an opportunity to use those same skills to her advantage. But then as she does so, there's a moment where the acting and the magic sort of cross paths. And it's curious to see how much of Daphne and how much of the magic she's learning about herself are actually a part of the salvation that gets her and her mom away. Now, what happens next is a tragic and interesting twist. And through it all, Daphne wonders if she's lost the brother who she cast away, the spirit that had begun revealing itself to her, and that may or may not have been a part of her escape. Daphne's realization that this is the end of just a chapter, and her story continues, is brought into a different view with the sort of viewpoint that what she thought she lost, what she will discover, and what's next in store might be more than she's considering, and that what she's open to could be very surprising for not only her, but for those who continue to follow her story. Daphne Burns has been one of those lovely treats from Joe Hill and the Hill House Comics line. I've really enjoyed every part of it. And the twists provided in the final pages, I think, really have to be left up to the reader. But I will say, I am curious to hear your thoughts and what direction you think this story will take next. In the meantime, it was my pleasure to talk with you today about 
Daphne Burton number six, my fourth choice for the DC Comics News Spinner Rack episode number 64. With that, we're coming up to my fifth and final choice. And I chose. I didn't have to. I wanted to. But I felt compelled to choose Superman's Pal and Jimmy Olsen number 12. Much like Lois Lane, this is one of those great supporting character maxi-series that did so much more than one might have considered upon its announcement. And the work, the amazing output from writer Matt Fraction, artist Steve Liber, is celebrated through the amazing colors by Nathan Fairburn, uh, the letters by Clayton Cowles, the original cover by Lieber and Fairburn, and the variant cover by Ben Oliver. I've been loving this series from the moment it started, and there's a part of me that almost didn't want to read this final issue, knowing it would have to come to a close. But the great thing about Matt Fraction is you feel like, sure, things have come to a close, but they've also come to a close in the way you want them to. Uh, That there's just as much tension, question, and mystery. There's just as much excitement. But the thing that I really love is the sort of awareness that Fraction has while he's writing this story. And even when you're looking at the credits page and the intro and the acknowledgement that has been a part of every issue, that this has been, um, well, a rollicking narrative. (laughs) And it's begun to rampage into a collapse and an infinite dense dot of plot threads are pulled together in order to make that happen. The result is a lot of things coming to fruition, but the discoveries along the way make for so much more excitement. Now, whether it's Jimmy finally discovering (laughs) what it is that's been going on, and how he can do something about it, how his brother Julian Olson is the one responsible for actually taking out a hit on him. Why? Because, well, Julian spent all the family's trust, but if Jimmy died, well, then all of that money that Jimmy actually hasn't touched would become available. Thus, the attempt on Jimmy's life, the announcement that he was dead, the ability for Julian to get the money, and the confrontation between Julian, Jimmy, and their sister. Porcadillo Man makes an appearance. Jim Corrigan, who has now begun knocking at doors and saying, Jim Corrigan, no, the other one, not that one, uh, <laughs> makes a great appearance. And Jimmy appears lost as though he no longer knows just what it is he's going to do or how he's going to do it. And then we get a bit of a deus ex machina as it's sometimes called the appearance of a figure from the outside who reveals unexpected information information that not only changes what would be the outcome but also the ideas behind the possible future who is this deus machina well i'll leave that for you the readers to discover Like all of the great surprises in the previous 11 issues, this is one in number 12 I simply shouldn't spoil for you. I know in the past I have been guilty of sometimes making a spoiler, but I try really hard, and I hope I'm avoiding one here. What can I tease? Well, I can tease that this revelation leads to a family secret, a family discovery, a family history, and the fact that sometimes 
It's really just a family thing. The result is one that not only brings to a close the story that we've been following, the many stories we've been following, but it leaves a wide open possibility for the future. And I love that this series, which has in many ways stayed its own little pocket corner of DC Comics and sort of existed on the zanier level, is also delving and involving itself in some major storylines occurring in other DC Comics properties, whether it's Action Comics or Superman, or even Lois Lane. And that part of it is really enjoyable for me, because I now am curious to see just how much of that might be included in a future run, and more importantly, how much I'm looking forward to going back and rereading all of the issues of Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 12, my fifth and final choice. A pleasure to bring to you today for this episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. This has been episode number 64. I've been your host, Seth Singleton. Happy to join you here this week, just like each and every week. However, if you want to make sure that you're here to join me each and every week, the first thing you got to do is make sure that whatever platform you're listening on, you've already subscribed. Once you do, you'll guarantee that from that point on, your thread, your stream, your feed will always feature the next, the newest episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. And I'm not alone. The DC Comics News Podcast Network has grown from our DC Comics News weekly podcast, where we cover all the topics of movies, television, streaming, comic books, and more, but branched out into shows like this, like I Am The Night, hosted by my co-host, cohort, and compadre in, well, dangerous things, Mr. Steve J. Ray. I Am The Night is an episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series, one I encourage you to check out, especially if you love the show, even if you didn't. The insights, the introspection, the guests, it's worth tuning in for. And other new shows that have come along the way, including Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast, when the crew from the weekly podcast decide to let their hair down a little bit, pull back the censors, and have an 18 and up conversation about an 18 and up show on DC Universe, all about our favorite little Harley Quinn. Now, when you subscribe, of course, please rate and review. Let us know how we're doing on shows like this, on all of our shows. When you do, well, you're going to guarantee that we know how well we're doing. And if you have something else you want us to know that can't be expressed with just a rating, please feel free to find us on your favorite social media channels, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube, you name it. <laughs> All you need is the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's at capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. When you use that tag with your comment, you'll let everybody from DC Comics News know what you're thinking, what you like, what you don't, what we're doing well, what we can do better, and more importantly, that you took the time to let us know. Of course, keep in mind, too, you can always keep up with me in your favorite social media platform 
don't let that playing in the background distract you. If you want to find me, you can always find me on Twitter as one more singleton. On Instagram as Seth the Writer. Although my dogs, Bruno and Fiji, are so much cuter. I don't care about that plane flying overhead. It cannot stop the cuteness of my dogs. You'll have to let me know if you agree. Otherwise, look for my reviews and other content from DC Comics News. We're available on all the big ones from Apple to Spotify to Stitcher to all the little guys to all the other platforms that exist out there and are gradually making their names. It may one day be as big as Google. With that out of the way, let me send you one final reminder, and that is to always read more comics. Thanks so much, folks. See you next time.